At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We want to talk this week about the defense budget. It is a little more than half of all of the discretionary spending that Congress deals with. Huge pile of money. And we kind of thought that the issue was finally settled when this month uh, Congress did reach a debt limit deal, suspending the debt limit because it included a figure for defense spending that both parties said they could live with, a roughly 3% increase over this year. And so the early thinking was that was that, and we know how much we're going to spend on defense. It turns out it's not that simple, and there's a lot of uncertainty over where the defense budget is going to go in terms of overall spending for the coming year for a variety of reasons, which we want to explain. And joining me for that is a special guest star today on the Budget Podcast, John Donnelly, a senior defense writer at CQ Roll Call, one of the best in the business by my book. Thanks for being here, John. My pleasure. Thank you, David. So you wrote a good piece this week, John, that really outlines where they are on defense and why actually there's so much certainty surrounding it. Walk us through a little bit about what you found and, and what, what that is and what are the factors here that could really, really change how much actually gets spent on defense? Well, um, as you pointed out, one would have thought that with a number fixed in law for defense and non-defense, discretionary spending cap, that uh, that would clear things up. But as you start to peel the onion back a little bit, you, you realize that's not necessarily the case. And I guess the, the biggest um, single um, question of many is uh, what whether we will have a supplemental uh, uh, added on to the $886 billion for national defense stipulated in the, in the budget deal. Um, and a supplemental just, spending bill and over and above the regular over and above. Yes. Yeah. So, so the question being, will, will defense get more than, um, than the $886 billion? I would bet yes. Um, but it's not a completely safe bet. Um, you, what we're talking about is primarily money, uh, in all likelihood for continuing uh, military and other forms of aid to Ukraine as they withstand the Russian invasion, uh, but not necessarily just that. Uh, you also have the possibility of uh, responding to natural disasters or even U.S. troops being used on the southern border. Um, and the defense hawks would like to add money, and they have explicitly said so in the Senate Armed Services Committee's Defense Authorization uh, Report, which is not released yet, but they have said in a press statement that it's in there, that they want money for ships 
and combat vehicles and munitions, that this is, quote, required. Which is way beyond what is traditionally thought of as emergency spending. I mean, right, it, exactly. takes, it takes years and years to build a ship. It's not exactly meeting an emergency need. Right, right. So there'll be, there'll, there will be a rather elastic definition of that. Now, that has the support of not just the defense hawks, as I mentioned, uh, in an unusual joint statement earlier this month, uh, the two top leaders of the, the political parties in the Senate, Schumer and McConnell, said, we need a supplemental. And they also said the budget deal that, that was just enacted says nothing limiting emergency spending. Um, and so they're clearly on record as supporting it. The, the, the opponents are over in the House, in the Republican uh, side. Uh, and Speaker McCarthy had an interview uh, earlier this month where he said, essentially, it's, it's not going anywhere, uh, referring to the supplemental. But then he also said, uh, we'll go through the appropriations process and we will do the numbers that we just agreed to. Well, the numbers that they just agreed to doesn't limit emergency spending. So I would suggest that there are more supporters than critics of additional spending. And, and oh, by the way, this is not just going to be defense spending. There's clamoring uh, already to increase non-defense spending, which we can talk about, because one of the key themes here in the coming months is going to be the degree to which the non-defense spending debates and non-defense policy disputes are going to affect the defense budget. Yeah, that, that's a good point, John. And I was just going to get into that a little because I do think here's the problem. Driving the need for a military supplemental bill is, is really the Ukraine aid, right? That's the main driver. But they also want all this other defense stuff in it. Uh, and so there will be a push for more Ukraine aid, which means there will be a push at least by some, at least in the Senate, for a supplemental bill, which is going to trigger this whole debate. But making that much more complicated now is is even as they as Senate senators on both from both parties expressed a willingness to do a supplemental bill. Patty Murray, the chairman chair of Appropriations Committee, was was pretty clear. She said there may well be a supplemental bill, but it's not just going to be for defense, and that domestic needs a part of this package citing the need for disaster relief and border security, and I forget what else she might have listed there. That's going to make this much a much tougher pill to swallow, I think, for, for Republicans who already want to cut non-defense spending. And yet, if they want more aid for Ukraine, they're now supposed to swallow extra non-defense spending. It seems to me this is going to open up a, a huge can of worms here uh, to get supplemental spending on the table. Yeah. I mean, as um, Congressman uh, Womack said during the uh, House Appropriations Committee's markup of the defense bill last week, both sides are going to have to give on this, um, and that, which is normally the case when you get a compromise, and all legislation is a compromise. Uh, so, But you're absolutely right that it's, it's especially uh, tricky, uh, I think, this year. And what you just referred to is the increases in non-defense and defense spending above the budget limit. But, you know, w when you just talk about the, the, the budget agreement itself, House Republicans have not even agreed to the non-defense levels in the budget agreement. The so-called 302B allocations that they have put forth uh, uh, in, in the House are fully $119 billion in total 
below the non-defense number agreed to in the budget deal. So, and, and over, so there's a huge difference on non-defense just in what's in the, under the budget deal, let alone what might be added on top of that in the form of a supplemental. So those are the dollar disputes, but then there's so many policy disputes. The House Republicans have put so many culture war provisions, uh, authorizing provisions in a lot of cases in the appropriations bills, all of them not just defense, but defense, for example, you've got uh, provisions in there, uh, no money to provide paid leave for service members who need to uh, travel to and take time off to get abortions or obtain other reproductive health services. You've got bans on spending on diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, on counter-extremism, all that kind of thing. So, um, and and similar provisions are, are scattered throughout all the defense, all the appropriations bills, defense and non-defense. So a lot of sort of um, hot button uh, things in there, in, apart from the money uh, disparities. Yeah, John, I was struck reading your story on on the House Appropriations Committee when they did mark up their defense bill, because you did a great job, I think, in capturing the tone of that markup. And it was striking. I think for anyone expecting an in-depth discussion of, of defense, of what weapon systems are needed, of how many troops are actually required, where around the globe, they would have been sorely disappointed. I, what, what struck me was how how much of that was just not about defense itself, but all these culture war issues that you ticked off, critical race theory and whether drag queens can give story hours. I mean, a whole bunch of cultural touchstones correct me if I'm wrong, but that seemed to dominate the whole debate at the markup. It, it really uh, wasn't much about defense, was it? Uh, you're absolutely right. And it, it was kind of uh, kind of remarkable <laughs> and not really in a great way uh, yeah. that this is what happened um, and that this is what people are talking about. But obviously- which, which does set up a huge fight because the House is controlled by Republicans who are eager to push these culture war type issues, at least mm-hmm. in the right wing. And then you've got the Senate appropriators, you know, controlled by Democrats who want none of this. And even the Republicans there are much more moderate overall than the House. They want none of this, really. They don't want to deal with it. And there's no way they're going to abide by some of these provisions. So that does set up another huge battle to get these defense bills in line. Yep. They also, the House appropriators also cut... Uh, $715 million from Defense Department programs aimed at uh, making installations more resilient to climate change and reducing the carbon footprint of DOD operations. Uh, That's a big cut that I don't think the Senate appropriators are going to abide. The House appropriators also cut a billion dollars in fiscal 2024 or proposed doing so to reduce spending on Defense Department civilians. Um, and which is that's traditionally a partisan battleground, right? Federal workers tend to be more defended by Democrats. Republicans tend to call them bureaucrats and, and, and yeah. say they, they just they just sit there and uh, stare at their pencils all day. So, um, yeah, so there's lots of policy disputes, lots of uh, funding disputes. Um, so it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty, um, which raises the distinct possibility. Uh, 
not for the first time by any means, of, a continuing, of one or more continuing resolutions uh, this year. And a key point in this whole discussion is the fact that if any of the, 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 the budget deal in law says that if any of the 12 appropriations bills are not passed by January 1 and, and has to have a, a CR, then, then, then spending will go down for everybody, Right. If by January 1, any spending bill has not been enacted and there's a CR, then the caps for both defense and non-defense will each go down by 1%. For the defense cap, that's a $36 billion drop from where they would be under the budget agreement. So that's a big chunk of change at risk. It's a yeah. big chunk. But as you and I know, uh, the, the actual implementation of that sequester of 1% um, does not take place until uh, April 30th. Given right. It does Congress, give them a long time to fudge this. So uh, yeah, the, the cut is probably not real, but it is something hanging over their heads um, right. that they're sensitive to, I think. Lawmakers from both parties point to it saying we really have to get this done because we don't want to risk this this across the board cut. Right. Um, but as you but as you know, Congress tends to do things at the last minute and only you know when the guillotine is about to drop. Right. Um, and so I think it would be safe to assume that the federal spending picture for fiscal 2024 20, is not going to be resolved until maybe early spring of the next calendar year. And we, we should remind people that these bills are actually due by October 1st of this year, which is when the right. fiscal year begins. Right. They almost never make that deadline. So so this sequester was meant to impose a January 1st deadline. Uh, and they often do have, have appropriations done by January 1st. There's usually a Christmas omnibus package that gets rammed through at the end of the year. I mean, usually it's done by then at least, months late, but it gets done. Now, this year is even more complicated there because Speaker McCarthy said he won't put an omnibus on the floor. They don't want to do these these catch-all packages anymore because conservatives hate them. You can't scrutinize all the spending that way. The bills are massive. But not doing an omnibus actually means, you know, they've got 12 separate bills to deal with. It's and they're quickly running out of time already. I'm, I'm not sure how they pull that off. Right. Um, we'll see. But remind us, John, just the big picture here, how much defense money we're talking about, because this is the budget deals was $886 billion for the coming fiscal year. A ton of money, of course. How does that compare? Historically? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a uh, the 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 technical term is it's a boatload of money. Um, the uh, so what we're talking about first of all is the entire national defense budget, not just the Defense Department, but also including uh, the other big piece of it is the Energy Department's National Nuclear Security Administration budget, which covers the atomic warheads and and bombs. Um, so it's it's huge. It's not. Adjusted for inflation, uh, it's up there in terms of it's close to one of the one of the handful of most expensive uh, defense budgets since World War II. Um, the height of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars 
represented the peak, the post-World War II peak, again, adjust, all adjusted for inflation. Uh, but again, we had you know scores of thousands of troops deployed in two different countries at that point. So in terms of like, you know, maybe we're not quite in quote unquote peacetime right now, given what's going on in Ukraine, especially, but this is relatively speaking a peacetime budget. And, uh, you know, as such, it is easily one of the most expensive ever. And yet, of course, Republicans say it's not enough. One of the reasons, of course, is they'll say that, you know, this is roughly a 3% increase over the current year, uh, which they will argue could amount to a real cut in defense spending if you adjust for inflation. If uh, assuming inflation is more than three percent, it does take a bite there, and they're they're going to say that we've got China on the rise militarily and economically, and and more money is needed for Ukraine and whatnot, and so this is actually inadequate, which is why they're, which is why at least in the Senate they they want this supplemental bill. Yep. Uh, that's right. And they make some good points uh, on inflation. It's probably there probably will be a real cut, but we don't know exactly because remember, this is inflation only in the defense sector. We're not talking about consumer prices and it's inflate and, and the, phys- the fiscal year doesn't start for three months and doesn't end for 15 months. So nobody knows what it, the defense sector inflation is going to be right. uh, next next year. So we don't know for sure what the inflationary uh, effect is going to be. And yes, there are a lot of things we need to spend more defense money on. Uh, the problem is the budget is so large. And, and how is it that we have so, uh, we're approaching a trillion dollar defense budget and it's not enough? Well, it must be we're spending some money on some things that we don't need to spend money on and we need to be more efficient. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's uh, I mean, defense spending, discretionary spending in general is is a relatively small piece of the defense of the uh, federal budget picture compared to entitlement spending and interest on the debt. Um, But it's still not chump change. And it's still, you know, uh, $886 billion. I mean, you and I could spend that probably very well. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And more more than what's allowed here for non-defense spending, we should say. Non-defense spending was capped, I think, at $704 billion under the debt limit deal. So there's a big disparity there too, right? The numbers just for defense, for reference purposes, the current level are, is 859 billion. The proposed 2024 is 886 billion, and then they also have a cap for defense in 2025, fiscal fiscal 2025 of 895 billion. So that's how it would progress uh, according to the budget deal. But again, that doesn't account for emergency spending, and yeah. and and the two and the twenty twenty three number that I gave you does not include more than thirty five billion dollars in in uh, defense department money for Ukraine. Yeah, and and just to talk about Ukraine for a minute, John, um, because there is we know there's going to be now the administration has not yet though requested more money for Ukraine, right? Correct. We don't know when they're going to, but haven't they given hints that they intend to pretty soon? Uh, yeah, it's not clear exactly when. Uh, 
and, and it's, it's almost a certainty that uh, they will need more uh, if we are going to continue to support Ukraine. And there's every sign that the administration intends to. And that despite some misgivings on the far left and the far right, that the United States Congress supports it too. And the public, by the way, supports it. There was a poll out Tuesday from Reuters saying 65% of respondents approve of, of aid to Ukraine. But exactly when it comes, we do not know. And also, it's not necessarily going to be only one package. You know, they may need, uh, depending on when it comes over, uh, it may be a fiscal 2023 supplemental. And then we may have- Meaning the current 20- year, yeah. Yeah, and we may have a fiscal 2024 supplemental as well. I wouldn't uh, bet against that. Yeah, there have been several rounds of these, so um, it'll depend how the war is going too. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet that the war is going to end anytime soon. Yeah, doesn't look like it. But that is a battle because you are seeing more and more. I think. Um, reluctance here to back more aid for Ukraine. House Republicans have been making noises that, you know, from the right wing that uh, they question whether more is needed. They question where all the money's going. They're, they're calling for, you know, inspector general reports on whether there's any fraud here, whether it's being spent wisely is how they're trying to get at it. But there is, there is this resistance to it. Um, and McCarthy is trying to walk a fine line, it seems to me, by not rejecting more Ukraine aid, by trying to express support for Ukraine, on the other hand, saying it's not going to be a blank check was his term, meaning, yeah. meaning he does want more scrutiny of it. He's trying to appease his right wing um, to yeah. say this money isn't going to be wasted, but it's going to be a difficult balancing act yet again for the speaker who has such a slim majority. Exactly. I mean, he owes his speakership to the House Freedom Caucus. And so he has got to uh, you know, pay homage to them uh, as much as possible, um, even though he may himself uh, support uh, arming, you know, support U.S. funding to uh, assist Ukraine uh, continuing. Um, I do believe that, you know, the critics of the Ukraine aid are, you know, on the margins, but those margins are powerful in the right. House. And so, but, you know, I feel like when you read between the lines of what McCarthy says, that uh, you know, he's not against the aid, as you say. He's just he's just trying to uh, please uh, please everybody, um, and so I have a feeling it's going to be okay for U.S. Uh, U.S. aid, but you know it won't be easy. And even the even the hawks, the defense hawks, whether they're talking about Ukraine money or Pentagon spending in general, they know that they have to have not just a message of give us more money, but also a message of tight oversight. Because if they don't talk that talk, at least, you know, it's going to really hurt their ability to continue to increase the defense budget. Yeah. And then, you know, Ukraine's government has had a history, at least, of, of corruption that's been a concern, I think, fairly said, by all parties. So there is an there is something to that argument that, you know, we want to make sure this money isn't going to go down the, a rat hole. But I don't think there's been any evidence that the the, the the aid we have sent has been wasted so far, right? Correct. There has not been such evidence. And oh, by the way, who's against oversight, right? I mean, right. everybody wants the money to be well spent. But you, there is no evidence that there's any fraud. The only, the only bad thing that's happened in terms of the Ukraine money is they um, they – Misestimated how much the you know 
how much money that they had. They basically miscounted it, which they do a lot over at the Pentagon. Uh, but in terms of fraud or, or misdirecting weapons, it's it's there's no evidence of that. The, the Inspector General uh, Defense Department has multiple reviews and audits going on of the aid, as do other departments and agencies. Uh, the House Appropriations Defense Bill, incidentally, would create a special inspector general for Ukraine spending. To that, that exemplifies this uh, this push on mm-hmm. both sides, but especially among Republicans who want the aid to show that they are spending it wisely. And so far, I think we've given them over a hundred billion or so. Yeah, that's right. And maybe half or less than half of it is uh, DoD uh, money. Right, because there's economic humanitarian assistance as well. So Correct. the military component smaller than that. Right. Um, but this is going to, once this request is made, of course, John, this is going to open up the door for a supplemental bill with all the other pent-up demands for spending that's going to make this very complicated, it seems to me. We just this week saw a bill introduced, I think, in the House for $11.5 billion for disaster relief from the Florida the Florida folks for hurricanes. And you you got to think this is this is going this is going to spread quickly in terms of in terms of what gets piled into this bill. Uh, yeah, it will. The, the, well, the demands will definitely increase. You know, it's going to be um, it's going to be a real it's going to be a magnet for um, for pleas for uh, spending, um, and they are going to have to carefully manage it. Um, because what makes one side happy, what makes the Democrats happy, makes the Republicans unhappy. But you know what, that's, or what makes the House happy will make the Senate unhappy, It's and vice versa. But, you know, that's been the dynamic for as long as I've been covering this, to sometimes more, more extremely than at other times. But you always have to do that, right? So um, it is going to be a tricky balancing act, but that's why they, that's why, that's what we pay them to do. Yeah. <laughs> So a lot to watch for here, but that's all the time we have for today. My thanks again to John Donnelly for joining me. Thanks so much, John. Always a pleasure. Thanks. If you like what you hear here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter. It hits your inbox every morning when Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our coverage on the defense budget and appropriations and taxes and more at CQ.com or rollcall.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll be off next week for the holiday. So happy 4th, everyone. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.